No jeopardy today. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, everybody can hear me okay. Uh, I'm not certain what it is, but I thought it's been allergies, but I'm, it might not be. It might be. I'm not sure. Anyway, I got some stuff to pass out, but I'm going to wait a few minutes to do that. Um, <clears throat> go ahead and get your Bibles. I'm not going to tell you where to turn quite yet. Um, as far as I know, Pastor Brinker's the only one that knows where we're actually going today, besides me, I hope. But uh, anyway, so um, I want to read a paragraph to you and see if you can pick the book, okay? This actually is from Matthew Henry's commentary on this particular book of the Bible. It's the very first paragraph in that, uh, in that section introducing that. So um, again, just uh, see if you can uh, pick out what book it is, all right? But uh, he says, it ought to be no prejudice to the credit and authority of this book that it has been rejected by men of corrupt minds, such as Surdin and Marcion, and doubted of by men of a better character, for this has been the lot of, of this has been the lot of other parts of the Holy Writ and of the divine author of Scripture himself. The image and superscription of this book are truly sacred and divine, and the matter of it agreeable with other prophetical books, particularly Ezekiel and Daniel. The Church of God has generally received it and found good counsel and great comfort in it. From the beginning, the church has been blessed with prophecy. That glorious prediction of breaking the serpent's head was the stay and support of the patriarchal age, and the many prophecies that were concerning the Messiah to come were the gospel of the Old Testament. Christ himself prophesied of the destruction of Jerusalem and about the time in and about the time in which that was accomplished, he entrusted uh, a certain person uh, with the writing of this book. All right, so hopefully you're kind of narrowing it down now. To deliver it to the church as a prediction of the most important events that should happen to it in the end of time. For the support of the faith of his people and the direction of their hope. Uh, it is called what it is, because God therein discovers those things which could never have been sifted out by the reasonings of, of human understanding, those deep things of God which no man knows but the Spirit of God and those to whom He reveals them. All right, so go ahead and open your Bibles to that book. What book do you think that is? Uh, you would be correct, all right? The book of Revelation. <clears throat> for 300. <clears throat> Excuse me, let me go ahead and turn this on now because it would have obviously given that away.
All right, as we uh, get going here, I have several things. I'm actually, I was uh, actually going to do something a little different today. I was, I had been kind of working on this transition from Hebrews to Revelation, and I didn't quite get what I had hoped to (laughs) done on it, so uh, we're going to forego that for right now and just... Um, kind of start on what we'll call lesson one of, sorry, of Hebrews here. Going for S or... Tell you what, if I set them here, if anybody else comes in, could you get it to them? I would say this, obviously there are many differences between the book of Hebrews, the book of Revelation, however there are some similarities. I want to ask you this other question before we even uh, get into much of anything yet, and I do have some other, I have a a number of lesson handouts like that, kind of already prepared in the works anyway probably have to do some tweaking to them, but I also have some other things I want to give you that's kind of more of a big picture overview, things of that sort, um, which I think can be helpful in, in, in studying the book of Revelation. Revelation seems to be, uh, to many people, kind of confusing, um, and um, I, guess, um, I guess probably everybody has probably looked at it at that point at some time in their lives, perhaps, but uh, really, I don't think, number one, it's meant to be. Uh, God's not, you know, he's not trying to hide himself uh, from us. He wants us to understand his word and know his word. And there are, there are some certain keys in the book of Revelation that really help us, I think, in understanding what God wants us to understand um, about the book. And so really, in a lot of ways, I think it's a lot simpler than what a lot of people uh, tend to perhaps make it. There are certain things in the book of Revelation, yeah, that are kind of uh, maybe more difficult, obviously, to understand. But as a whole, I don't think it really is. And um, as, we, as we look into this, I want to ask you this question to begin with, all right, before I get much uh, farther here. When you think of that phrase, all right, the book of Revelation, what comes to your mind? What word, you know, so to speak, or topic, if I can even say a topic? What, what comes to your mind when you hear the book of Revelation? Churches, that's an interesting answer, all right. Uh, prophecy, end of time, tribulation. Uh, I mean, I, I, I would think that most people, when they think of the book of Revelation, if, if, you, if I were to ask what's the theme of the book of Revelation, obviously most people would probably say, Prophecy, future events, you know, end times, that kind of thing. And in a way, that is true. However, I would put a different answer to that. And uh, I think really the very first verse, the first words of the book give us that answer. Notice what verse, uh, how verse 1 starts. I'm not even going to read the whole verse yet, but it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is all about the Lord Jesus Christ in reality, all right? Uh, 
it is the revealing of Jesus Christ. That's what that phrase means right there. Uh, it certainly is set, though, in uh, most of it, in the future, in the end of time, if you can, you know, we, we could say it that way, and how uh, Jesus relates to that, but it really is all about him. In fact, uh, I mean, in arguably all the Bible's about the Lord Jesus, okay? You know, Spurgeon said he's, that, that Christ is on every page of the Bible. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, uh, but, but really Hebrews, the book of Hebrews was all about the Lord Jesus Christ and that he is superior, he is better. The book of Revelation is all about the Lord Jesus Christ from a different angle perhaps, but probably we would say it's all about the Lord Jesus and how he is uh, the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. He's the one who's in charge. And, um, you know, all the things that are unfolding in this world. It's interesting because, um, yeah, yesterday morning when I, uh, uh, after I was up and I, I, when I first grabbed my phone, unplugged it, you know, because usually I have it charging every night and that, and was doing some things and, and looked and there was a, uh, uh, I don't know if anybody else has ever heard of the Epic Times, but anyway, I get some news from them. And um, there was a notification on there, and I, because uh, the heading was interesting, Israel declares war. And I thought, wow, what's this? You know, and of course, probably by now, most everybody's heard about that. I mean, and I thought, man, we're just getting ready to study the book of Revelation. This is interesting, you know. But, uh, and those are the kind of things that people, you know, think of and associate with that. Uh, there's been wars pretty much ever since man's been on the earth and <laughs> all that. But, uh, you know, obviously there are things of that sort that are tied in with future events in the end times, so to speak. Um, but the revelation of Jesus Christ, or the book of Revelation as we would commonly know it, occupies quite a unique place in the canon of Scripture. Its position of uh, it, its position of culminating the divine message from God is obviously very important. In fact, I don't think this quote's in that handout, so I'll just say this, and I can't remember who I uh, saw this in, in their writings, but one, one writer stated that the book of, he, uh, book of Revelation, so you're saying the book of Hebrews, the book of Revelation is kind of like the, the train station where all the trains return home to. Uh, I mean, everything in the Bible uh, culminates, really, in the book of Revelation. Everything prior to it, in some way or another, lays some groundwork for it and kind of points toward that. In fact, again, many of the uh, prophetic things of the Old Testament, we see you know, direct ties with uh, the book of Revelation. In fact, understanding the Old Testament is one of the best preparations you can have for studying. Uh, the book of Revelation as well. But uh, these, these future events that God has revealed are described in detail, yet often in symbolic language. Often symbols and figures of speech are employed, which is normal, all right? Um, in fact, you know, we, um, uh, we, in the broad sense of Scripture, we believe it's proper to take the Bible literally, all right? We, we um, in fact, a, a term that's um, used in, you know, in, in 
theology or whatever is uh, we, 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 we approach the Bible with a literal interpretation view or a historical grammatical view of Scripture. In other words, you take it like normal writing. In other words, God was communicating. He's using human language to communicate, and for the most part, it's, it's like normal communication other than the fact it's from God, okay? It's not just man to man, it's from God, but it's, he communicated with human language, all right? And it has a historical setting, all right? And so, uh, just like, though, most normal writings, or many normal writings, there are figures of speech, there are symbols and things that are used. That's not abnormal for normal things, okay? I mean, that, that's, that's true across the board in literature that's written today uh, and, and so on, all right? So, um, the, and that's part of what I, I meant earlier when I, think, when I said that I think many people overcomplicate it because they're, they're trying to look at everything as some kind of secret meaning, secret, and, and that's really not the case, Okay? Uh, I mean, most, most things in Revelation are very, very straightforward. Um, there, are, there is some symbolic language used, and that's even pointed to here in verse 1 as well. We'll get to that as soon as I can get through a couple uh, introductory statements here, right? But the things here, uh, things contained here are meant to, uh, they, they, they add support to the doctrine of the rest of the Scripture. They... Um, uh, are meant to be a source of comfort and exhortation to the children of God, while uh, they also serve as a warning to be taken seriously by the unsaved and the worldlings uh, in, in this world. And while many people, again, seem to avoid studying this gem in God's Word due to fear and confusion and so on, God intends for His people to dig into His riches and understand what he has said. And, and I believe that's true for a l number of reasons, and we're going to see a couple of those uh, here this morning as well. But um, uh, before, I, and, and most of you are aware enough, yeah, well, I uh, uh, can't even think of what I was going to, the word I want to use here, but you're, you're familiar enough with the book of Revelation that you understand in chapter 1, there's this great vision of Jesus that John is shown, Okay. And, uh, but before that, uh, there's a, what I would say, a longer-than-normal introduction, or sometimes called a salutation uh, of New Testament letters. It, there's a, a longer-than-normal introduction uh, to the book of Revelation, and that's really what we're going to focus on today. In fact, really only part of it, because the other part we're going to tie in with that other part of chapter 1. But as we look at this special beginning to a very special book uh, here this morning. We'll see this. Um, actually, this isn't something that you can put in three points in a, in a poem, so to speak. In fact, there's seven points, the main points to this, uh, actually, first three verses here uh, this morning. But uh, we'll look at that. Let's, let's do two things first. We'll, we'll have you uh, read some verses we're going to read verses 1 through 11, okay? And uh, then we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump right in here, all right? So I'll ask uh, Pastor Brinker to start that. <clears throat> the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. 
bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, praise be unto you and peace from him which is which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are for his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother, in companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God, and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. All right, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you. Uh, this morning, especially for this, this special part of your word, the book of Revelation, I pray that as we embark on looking at this, uh, this wonderful book, I pray that you'd help us, help us to have understanding, and uh, help me, Lord, be able to communicate uh, uh, clearly and concisely as well uh, this morning, and be able to be understood because of my uh, throat and drainage and everything, but help that not to be a hindrance this morning as well. But uh, we just pray most of all that you'd help us to love the Lord Jesus more and as we ought. We ask these things in his name. Amen. All right. First of all, as we look at this, we're going to um, look at the book, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And as we get into this first uh, little bit here, we're going to uh, as I said, there's seven points. Some of them aren't going to take a whole lot of time, probably, but um, nonetheless, there's seven, and they are alliterated. Um, but first of all, notice in verse 1, it's special disclosure. And really, two things I want to point out about this. Um, in verse 1, it says, "...the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto him and his servants..." Uh, to show unto his servants, excuse me, things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. All right, so just a couple things to point out here in this disclosing, if you want to say, of the book of Revelation. All right, first of all, notice the word revelation. Obviously, that's the, uh, the key word and why the book is called the book of Revelation or the revelation of Jesus Christ. Anybody understand what the word revelation means? Does anybody have an idea what the, the Greek word translated 
revelation here is. It is on the, the uh, handout there, but, and I think this is interesting because when you hear that word, other things will come to your mind because of the context in which we live today. All right, the word translated revelation here is the word apocalypsis, which is what we get apocalypse in our language from. And when you hear that word, what do you think of? I mean, oh, disaster, danger, that kind of thing. But that's not what the Greek word means. Okay, that's its connection in, in our day in English, but that's not what the word means. Uh, the word means a manifestation, a revealing, an unveiling. In other words, like a pulling back of the curtain and showing something. That, that's what the word means. Okay, so keep that in mind as you think about this. This is the revelation or the, the revealing, the unveiling, the making manifest of Jesus Christ. That's what the book is, how it's introduced, and what it is in a, in a big picture. That's what it's all about. All right, um, and think of the individual. According to the very first verse, this book is an unveiling or revealing of the Lord Jesus. And in this great portion of God's Word, He, the Lord Jesus, is revealed to be the glorious, almighty God, that He is coming again as the judge of all and the King of kings, rather than the babe in a manger, the suffering Savior, and all. All right, that's really what this is about. Ultimately, this is pointing to the fact that Jesus is coming again, and when he comes, it's a whole different scenario than the first time he came. And really, this is written, as we're going to see a number of things in the, in the introduction of this book, it's written for different, you know, statements come out here, but basically to show the servants of God what's going to happen. Not that the servants of God are necessarily going to be here on earth for all that, but it is our job to warn the world of that, right? And it also serves as a written warning. I, I, I believe this is going to be available after these things start to happen here on the earth. People are going to be able to read this in the Bible, all right? And, uh, you know, they, they can know what's happening. Um, it's interesting, there is... a a, uh, uh, I guess it would be in the country of Jordan, actually, modern-day Jordan, but there's a place called Petra. Anybody ever heard of that, familiar that? It's like a, almost like a city that's carved into cliffs um, in, a, in a canyon, I think. But um, anyway, I, I've, I've read some things that some preachers and stuff have, been, you know, of course, been visiting the Holy Land and stuff, and they've been there, and they've they've like somehow packaged them for preservation, but they've, they've left Bibles, scriptures there because they believe one day people are going to be hiding in that place, you know, during the tribulation time, and they'll have the Bible to, to read. You know, that's kind of an interesting thing to think of that way. But, I, you know, the Bible will be available. It'll be around. I mean, you know, Satan's tried to get rid of the scriptures throughout all history, and he's failed, Okay. Um, and, and you think of it today, in, in, in today, really, there's far more access to the Bible than there's ever been. 
I mean, with the, the internet and, I mean, far more, you know, all the available printing and so on. Now, sadly, there's still languages of the world that don't have the Bible in their language. But in a general sense, the Bible is more readily available today than it's ever been. Perhaps, though, it's more neglected today than it's ever been. Uh, but again, we see this, this special disclosure here. Uh, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, okay? And then notice it's special delivery. Um, when, I, when I see, read that statement, I think of when I was a kid, Mr. Rogers and the guy, what was his name? Mr. McFeely riding on his bike, I think, and pushing that thing. Ding, ding, ding. Special delivery, special delivery. Uh, anyway, sorry, but... Um, it's a special delivery. This prophetic, prophetic unveiling was given by God. This is an interesting thing. I don't know of any other book of the Bible that I've ever seen this in as far as listing these, like this progression, if you want to say, of how it was delivered, okay? Notice in verse 1 it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. Now that him there would be who? would be Jesus, all right, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, okay? And he, Jesus, sent and signified it by his angel or messenger unto his servant, John. And then John is instructed to write, and it is directly intended to be for the churches, the seven churches of Asia that are named, they were read, um, and, and, and so on. But it's interesting that you see that. You see, God gives it to Jesus. Jesus signifies it to John through an angel. John's to write it. I mean, I don't know of any other book of the Bible that you see that specified out that way for an interesting thing here. But again, I think the point is God intends, he intends for his people to have it, to see it, to, to, to study it, okay? It's not something that should be neglected. And we'll see more about that here in verse 3 in just a few minutes, all right? But, <clears throat> so this, this is, uh, uh, you see that here. Anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on. But one thing to point out, all right, I did mention at the very beginning that there, there is symbolism used in the book of Revelation. The word signified there in verse 1 it's a word that's it's, um, connected with the word that the Gospel of John uses, signs. Um, it's connected with that word. In other words, the whole point is, he's saying, it is communicated, but it, it is, there are, there's, it's communicated through signs in ways, through symbolism and so on, all right? But there is a, there's a literal message, all right, that's being com communicated, although signs are employed in doing so, which again is not something that's, you know, foreign to, to most things in normal communication, all right? The fact that Jesus, God the Son, received this from God the Father demonstrates the submissive role that the Son willingly has taken uh, to carry out the plan, the will of God for this world. And there's a number of references there about that. All right. And then thirdly, see, we're moving along. Thirdly, it's special destination. All right. John was the first human recipient here, 
But the revelation was intended for the Lord's servants. Notice that there in verse 1. Now, later, and we'll, we'll in next, the, the second lesson, we'll see more specifically about this, but uh, we, we can see from other references, even in this introduction, uh, that specifically he's told to write and send it to whom? To the seven churches, all right? Um, so, yeah, he uses the term his servants in verse 1 in a general sense, but if you want to get specific, he's saying his servants in this case are those in the churches, all right? But we'll, we'll save more of that for later. Um, John was to write what he saw. Now, this is interesting, okay? Because this comes from God through Jesus, through the Lord uses angels throughout the book of uh, uh, Revelation to, to show things and, and so on, deliver things, you could say. Some of those angels are what we would call angelic beings. Some of those are human messengers, all right? And I'll, I'll try to keep that distinction in that. But, um, but both are employed, somebody delivering a message. And John is specifically told to write, all right? So write down, but it says the things which he saw, that he sees. And the point being as well is that John literally saw these things, and he wrote these things. This is not just some dream he had, and this is a supernatural thing, yes. As, as again, we, we, it was read in the introduction, but down there in verse uh, 1 and 10, you know, John's, he's, he's uh, uh, banished on the Isle of Patmos, which was a small island in the Aegean Sea, so between, if you're looking at a map, uh, if you find modern Greece, it would be like on the west side of the Aegean Sea. And in the, in the New Testament, that would be Macedonia, Achaia, those kind of places there. And then on the, the right side or the east side of that, looking at it on a map, would be Asia Minor, which is where these seven churches are, all right, Ephesus being a major city, and, and you'll notice if you were to find these cities, these churches are named in on a map that basically starts with Ephesus, and it just goes in a circle, uh, these seven churches, all right, and there were many other churches, I'm, I'm trying to save that, so uh, we'll talk more about that later, there were many other churches, he picked these specific ones for specific reasons, okay, uh, we'll get more into that in uh, another lesson, but you see its special destination here, right? John, he's told to write and to send these things to these churches, to these assemblies. They were literal churches that existed in these cities. Some of them are talked about in other places in the, in the New Testament. Some of them are not, all right? But a number of them are. Uh, and again, these are seven literal churches that existed at that time. As far as I know, none of these churches exist still today, which is in a way a sad thing. Uh, but, um, and, and as we get into the chapters two and three, some of the warnings that we see to some of these churches, that, you know, it, it's interesting that, again, as far as I know, none of them exist today. Uh, but the Lord chose to deliver through John a special, a special message to each of these churches. It, it's interesting because the book of Revelation as a whole is addressed to these churches. But yet within that whole, you have individual specific epistles to these churches as well. 
but on each one of them, all the churches are exhorted to pay attention and listen, because there's things that apply to all churches, all right? And again, we'll get more into that when we get into those things a little bit later. Uh, but again, he's, that's the destination of this, all right? At the time Revelation was written, toward the end of the first century, uh, already there were heretical things coming into churches and so on. I mean, it's interesting how short time it takes for things to get corrupted. I mean, amazing. But uh, at this time, again, there's, there's heretical things already cropping in. There's doctrinal and practical problems within the churches. I mean, think about it. You know, the book of 1 Corinthians, written much earlier than Revelation. I mean, most of 1 Corinthians is written to correct errors in the church of Corinth. I mean... Uh, so again, it, it didn't take long for things to get, you know, off off center and, and so on. All right, Revelation addresses needs in fortifying God's churches to remain true, uh, which are, and it's interesting that Revelation in our English Bible, the way it's, the, the order of the books in the New Testament is not the order in which they were given by God, of course, but um, again, it's more topical, but the books that immediately precede Revelation are based, you know, John's three epistles, and then the book of Jude, and even Peter's, really, as well. But they're, they're warning of the churches of things, all right? And then Revelation just focuses more on that uh, and some specifics in some specific churches, all right? So you see this de- special destination. You see also there's a special determination here in, uh, in verse 1. The very first verse states that these things were given to show the Lord's servants Things which must shortly come to pass. Now, with that statement, I think many times there is a little bit of a misunderstanding, and that's probably why some people have a wrong view of Revelation as well. Uh, You read that and you think, okay, surely those things had to have happened a long time ago. But most of the things in the book of Revelation have yet to happen and we're sitting at, you know, 2,000 years after it was written, after this warning was issued, right? So there's a couple things to keep in mind there. One is, number one, God doesn't operate on our time scale, all right? God dwells outside of time. He's eternal. He, I mean, time is irrelevant, really, to God. He's not bound by time whatsoever. So, and that's part of that emphasis in Second uh, Peter, you know, uh, a thousand years is as a day with the Lord. A day is a thousand years. I mean, and that, that statement's mis, mistaken, I think, in a lot of ways. But, but basically, God's, I mean, time, you know, we think of time, uh, or, you know, everything, everything in our lives is governed by time. Uh, it, it, we are, we are restricted. We are, we are time-restricted creatures. Now, one day that'll change, Okay. Uh, but we are. But keep in mind, God's not restricted by time. So when God says something is shortly to come to pass, we need to try to understand that from his view, not necessarily from our understanding of day-to-day things. Okay. But secondly, another idea or another thing comes into play with understanding that statement, all right, is this. And I heard it worded this way once, all right. When he says it's shortly, must shortly come to pass. The idea is not necessarily that when John penned this, these things were, you know, coming to pass in short time. But once these things start, they unfold very quickly. 
here on the earth. All right, the things that are written of predominantly in chapter 6 and following. All right, once these things start, they, it's, it's basically, it's, it's trucking, so to speak. It's moving. All right, so it is shortly in that sense as well. But um, uh, <coughs> so um, again, you can read more of the notes there on that. But in in this determination, what the book's about. Notice letter A there, and I didn't put the A's and stuff on the on the uh, PowerPoint. But the purpose of the book it's to show what must shortly come to pass, what is coming to pass, and to reveal. Jesus Christ for who he is. The urgency of the book. Again, shortly, at hand, quickly. You'll see those types of statements often in the book of Revelation. All right? Begins with that and ends with that. Interesting, really the last statement in the book of Revelation. uh, Jesus says, I come quickly. Amen. Uh, That would be in the next to the last verse. And John, uh, the writer, adds... Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And then he says, the grace of our Lord be with you all. Uh, I mean, so you, you see that urgency communicated in the book, all right? Then the character of the book. Again, it's a book of signs, prophetic in nature, making known ahead of time by use of signs. And you see that again with the word signified there. Uh, which really means to make known, to report, to communicate, but it can have the idea of indicating, foretelling with the use of signs, all right? Now, notice also, we, we speak of the revelation, we think of a human being, all right? We've already mentioned his name, but John, he specifies in chapter 1 that the writer of the book, the human instrument that God used to write these things, and he was writing what God showed him, what he literally saw, who's writing it down, and that's John. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but of course God is the author of the book of Revelation, like the rest of the Bible, but God used men to pen the scriptures, and here he used a special disciple to pen all that he wanted to be penned in this revelation. The text states that John is the human writer. Again, that's, that's more than once stated. The only question then for Bible-believing people is, okay, which John? Because obviously when we, when we look at the whole New Testament, there are, new, there are several Johns that are presented in Scripture. The main three uh, are listed here, John the Baptist. All right, let me just say he was martyred long before Revelation was written, so it really can't be him. His ministry was of a specific nature as well. He came to prepare the way before Christ comes, all right? Uh, John is writing about things after and before Christ comes again, all right? Uh, again, just you can, you can read these in more detail for yourself. John Mark, that's another John, although probably we, we think of him more as Mark, um, but probably the the human writer of the gospel of Mark. He was closely associated with both the Apostle Paul and with Peter. In fact, very closely associated with Peter as well. In fact, many people would say the gospel of Mark could be said to be the gospel of Peter because, uh, but anyway, I'm not going to get into that right now. But John Mark, all right, again, we don't believe he was the Writer, there's no evidence that he was ever banished to Patmos and so on. All right, John the Apostle, and and it's practically universally accepted among Bible-believing people that John the Apostle, 
the son of Zebedee, the brother of James, all right, one of the uh, original apostles, that he was the human writer. Five times in the book, John is mentioned as the penman here. And also there's, there's abundant historical, besides the Bible, you know, there's, there's historical writings that go way back that associate John uh, as being the human writer here of the book of Revelation. I'm not going to get into reading all that there. There's, I, I include just a little bit of stuff there. But all, all evidence really points to the apostle John. Um, now, we could say, some people might say, does it really matter which John wrote it? Well, maybe not in a way, but in a way, if we understand it, and, and it is John the Apostle, there are some things about this that really uh, become more interesting and I think in a way should stand out to us even more, particularly as we look at the vision later in chapter 1. But there's a number of biblical consideration for the Apostle John as being the penman of the, of the revelation here, and, and I listed some things there. I'm not going to get into all of those right now as well because time is, is of essence right now. So I'm going to move on to uh, point number six. So we only got one more, and that is its special delight, the revelation, the book of Revelation, special delight. All right, an interesting uniqueness about the book of Revelation is that it pronounces a special blessing on those who look into it. Now, in a way, the Bible as a whole, all right, claims to be, you know, a blessing to people and so on. That is true, all right? But as far as I know, no other specific book of the Bible explicitly states a blessing for those that read it and study it, that particular book. I don't know of any other book of the Bible that makes the same statement. Notice we read it uh, earlier there, but look at verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep uh, those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. All right, so a special blessing pronounced on those Again, wanting, you know, looking into it. Now, another thing that's uh, to point out here is two things about that. And if you look at the verse carefully, you'll see it just plain as day there. But the one reading, that's singular. And the ones, plural, hearing and, you know, and reading and doing. Uh, which, again, I think coincides with the fact that the book of Revelation was meant for the Lord's churches. I mean, typically in a church setting, somebody is, you know, at the pulpit at the front, uh, reading, teaching, preaching, but their others are hearing, right? Listening. And the intention is then, if it's the word of God, that we do it, right? That's, that's the intention. So I, again, it's just another kind of, uh, interesting thing there that coincides with the whole point of Revelation being sent to the churches. And again, I believe that God intends for the book of Revelation to not mean to not to be a subject in the churches and not be neglected by the churches. All right. So the one hearing, the one reading, the one, those hearing, keeping and so on. And then another thing, and we don't have time to go through all these right now, but I encourage you to look at it. But Actually, in the book of Revelation, there are seven passages that pronounce blessings on people for certain things. This has been called by some, you know, in the, in the uh, Matthew chapter 5, 
there's uh, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount has often been referred to as the Beatitudes, all right, or because there are certain things there. Jesus says, blessed are these, blessed are those, and so on. Similarly, in the book of Revelation, people have said there's seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. There's seven different passages in Revelation, again, that pronounce a blessing on people for certain things. We saw the first one here in verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessing for reading, hearing, and doing. All right? And then, again, the other ones are listed there. I'm not going to read them for you right now. And then, so, let's move on to point number 7 here. And I just cleared it. Oh. Point number seven, it's special development. And this is an important part. I don't have time this morning to left to do justice for this point. I would encourage you, if you could, before next Sunday, to make sure you read through that point uh, on the handout because it's very important. Uh, Revelation, you know, whenever you study the Bible, um, some books give a purpose statement to the book. All right, we kind of see a purpose statement here in Revelation. Uh, for instance, John's Gospel um, uh, says in chapter 20, verse 30, these things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. That's a, an explicit statement of purpose of why that portion of Scripture was written. Right, uh, John's first epistle. All right, uh, many. I, I think there's more than one statement, but the the one that's most well known, John, First uh, John five thirteen. These things have been written unto you that ye might what? That believe that ye might know that ye have eternal life. All right. So written as most people, you know, for assurance for the believer. Written to assure in our hearts, you know, uh, those things. Similarly, we see things. Uh, about, uh, you know, purpose and so on here in Revelation 1. But more than that, because of what Jesus tells John specifically, we see that John was told to write the things that he saw and send it to the churches, all right? But if you look down at verse 19, and again, I, I got to go over this real quickly. But in verse 19, you'll see John is told to write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Now, again, I, I encourage you to, to read through that little section on, on the handout there before next uh, week. But really, you can see a basic, a basic framework for the book of Revelation, the whole book right there, right? It's laid out in three distinct parts, the things that John Saul, specifically at the point Jesus makes that statement, the vision that John saw of Jesus in chapter 1. And then the things which are the present things, even today. The chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the churches, right? Dealing with the things that are. And then in chapter 4 and following, you have the things which shall be hereafter. In fact, if you read verse 1 of chapter 4, you'll see pretty much an identical statement there. John was called up to heaven, and he would be shown the things which must shortly come to pass. All right? Uh, so, again, the future things, all right? And so, really, you see a framework for understanding uh, the book of Revelation there, and I'm going to have to stop there because we're out of time. Now, in that, okay, um, 
in that, from chapter 4 on, basically those are all future things from when John wrote it, yes, but even still from today right now, those are future things because right now we are still in the, the time frame of the age of the churches, the New Testament church age, all right? Uh, which again is what chapters 2 and 3 are focusing on, the messages to the churches. And church, all churches are supposed to hear those messages and, uh, and listen up. And, uh, but chapter 4 then begins and lays out future things. And you'll see there's two tracks, if I can word it that way, of, of going through, all right? Two timelines, uh, for lack of a better way to put it right now. But one is things that take place in heaven. And the other is the things that are going to take place here on the earth. And you'll see those both flowing through Revelation. And uh, again, it's, it's when, you, when you have some, some, some of this framework in mind, it's, it really lays out and flows. It's rather simplistic, okay, in the way that it, that it unfolds. Uh, now, distinguishing between those two things sometimes can create some difficulty, but uh, for the most part, it's pretty clear. All right, so we'll, we'll get into that uh, later here, but um, we're going to have to go ahead and stop for now. So thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this wonderful portion of your word. Help us as we uh, look into it and uh, have a desire uh, because you pronounce a special blessing on those that uh, give their attention to this. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us to uh, just, again, just seek to... Uh, to know, understand, and obey your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray, amen.